Hi, this is Rachel on Recover. We've got Cheryl Castro coming back, and she's going to tell the rest of her story. Thanks. Um, how has this impacted your finances? Um, well, I mean, I guess my, my own choices, you know, um, being led astray at a young age and not choosing to have a career, not having support and saying, hey, you know, you can go do this or, you know, you know, let me help you get into a technical school or, um, you know, how about let's get that GED now that you're young, you know, and you quit school, and, you know, like any kind of parental guidance I just really did not have. Um, and neither was I looking for it at the age that I was, you know, I was very rebellious and going through my my stuff at that age, but, um, so yeah, my education was very much affected by that. Uh, what was the question again? I'm sorry. I think I got off track. Definitely. If I would have made better choices, I would have made, um, better choices. <laughs> and, um, my finances should definitely be a little better. I would think at this age and stage of my life, like I said, I'm 41. Um, I think I have like $300 in a bank account right now <laughs> and I'm living in a roommate situation, which I'm grateful for. Um, but I, you know, I have dreams and aspirations and goals now that I've set for myself and every day, um, I just keep moving forward and things get better. Um, currently driving my father's truck, uh, because I did have a car, but the engine blew. And um, so now I'm driving a 1986 Toyota 4Runner that my dad bought when I was six years old. <laughs> and he still has it. Bless his heart. Uh, my engine blew. And he's pretty particular about his things. He's always been kind of materialistic and, and likes his things and works hard for his things. Um, so granted, I understand, you know, not wanting to just give the things that you work really hard for away. But um in this situation, Dad's been very supportive um, most of all my life. Uh, he, he saw that I was going down the right road and trying to do the right thing. Dad has always kind of been there. He's been pretty much my rock and somebody that I could depend on just to answer the phone, to vent to, to talk to, to you know, be that open door when I didn't have anywhere to go to um, say, hey, you know, I need a thousand dollars for whatever court fees or something, you know, that was really life pressing. And it wouldn't be a gift, but it would be a loan. And um, he's, he's gotten me through. So as far as my finances, I'm still, I'm struggling. Like, I'm, I'm worse off than some 12-year-olds. <laughs> but uh, that's okay. I'm okay. Um, well, would you also say, like, she's taken you to court a couple times, too. Your mother? And that's... Absolutely. Mm-hmm. She has. Um well, I've taken her to court. She's taken me to court. It's been a real battle. Um, the end result, though, was that uh, I couldn't keep up. You know, my mother has money. She's married. Uh, she divorced my father, married some man that worked in a great chemical company, which, you know, he made really good money and had a good living and left everything to her when he died. So she, she ended up pretty, pretty good on that. And um, she worked as well, you know, so... Um, and then she ends up marrying another guy when he died, and that didn't work out. That was annulled. 
and she doesn't like to talk about that though. Um, he was an alcoholic, and I think she. Anyways, the next guy that she married was no better than the guy that she got an odd from, and in fact, even worse. Um, but she's still married to him, and he uh, you know, takes care of her financially. But yeah, we've I wasn't able to keep up financially in the court because we all know you know lawyers like to be paid, and um, they're not cheap. And there's really no assistance in the child custody uh, bracket of lawyers because there's there's not a pro bono, you know, somebody just wanting to help you to get and gain custody back of your children or to keep them from being adopted. That there's a certain, pro, you know, there's like low income programs and stuff for uh, criminal defense lawyers and things like that. You know, when you don't have enough money for a lawyer, you get one appointed for you and things like that. And those in the system of the justice law, um, you know, for criminal justice. But when it comes to family issues, they're, you know, that doesn't happen. I looked and, um, you know, I searched and I studied and I tried to find some financial help in this matter and never, ever came up with enough. I did, however, um, spite her with the money that I did make, you know, waiting tables every single dime that I had went to a lawyer and every single dime I had just wasn't enough when it came down to it because I was basically strong armed right before it was a three year court battle trying to keep adoption from happening. And, um, it just broke my heart because, uh, you know, he calls me and says, hey, you know, you owe me $5,000, and, you know, I'm I'm a new partner in this firm, and they're pressing me for the money that you owe me. What can you give me? I'm going to need you to give me, a, I think I owed him eight, actually, and he told me that he was going to need at least five grand, you know, 5000 before uh, he was going to show back up in a courtroom with me. Yeah. Yeah, and this was my children's lives that were on the line. So, um, granted, I still had the same job that I had when we started the whole mess three years prior, and my financial statement didn't look any different. <laughs> he took my case on, knowing how much money I made, and when it came to the end of it, I was uh, strong-armed for money that I didn't have, and then uh, my children were adopted. I wasn't even notified of the day of court. Wow. Yeah. Very, very hard to get. How has this that. impacted your parenting? Um, definitely greatly because my mother just decides, you know, when to pull the plug. She does what she wants. She doesn't do. I try to make schedules. I try to, you know, be dependable. I try to show up. I try to say, hey, what's this, the best thing for the kids is for them to know when they're going to see their mother. You know, the best thing to do is to, you know, let's come up with a steady schedule. You know, scheduling is good. Let's do this. Let's make something, you know, consistent in their life. Um, and I was the drug addict. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> I, I never went around my children high. Um, I did, you know, struggle with some drug issues longer than I care to really admit, but I mean, I'm totally honest. I don't have anything to hide and I'm happy, um, that I learned the things that I learned along the way 
um, I don't regret my life. I regret some decisions, definitely. I definitely regret um, doing things that, that made me uh, decide to ask someone that I barely knew, like my mother, to, um, to help me in a, in a situation when I knew that I was not ready to quit the drug that I had just started. I had relapsed and um, asked her to step in and help me with the children, and she did. She stepped up. I couldn't even believe that, really, because we didn't really have a great relationship. We never had a great relationship. And I didn't think that she ever wanted to even be a mom because she wasn't a mom to me. And that was the worst. That was one of the worst decisions I ever made. And granted, you know, I wasn't in my best mindset because I was high when I asked her to do these things because I didn't want to take my children down the road of, you know, instability and whatever that I had already been through before that I knew that I could very well go down again and I was trying to protect my children. But um, it was definitely a mistake. Big, huge, huge mistake. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Like, about how, how, how like, about, your, your kids' relationship with their, their, your mother and that, like, the impact on them a little bit. They're abused daily, emotionally, mentally, physically. Um, it's very hard. It's very hard um, to know that my kids are in a bad situation because I don't have enough money to pull them out of it. Um, my daughter has been molested by her husband. And um, that's a real hard pill to swallow. And my mother has been told, and she... Uh, she just refuses to um, to do anything about it. When uh, I spoke with her about, you know, I was trying to be really um, sympathetic and empathetic in her situation because I know that she didn't know. And when my daughter told me what had happened, um, I went to my mother with it. And um, she's, at first she believed um, everything that she was hearing and felt bad about what had happened. And I was like trying to give her time to figure out what she needed to do about her marriage and whatever and whatnot and how she was going to figure out how, what to do with her life being hit with the news like that. And then my answer was like, I don't know why I was surprised and um, it just hurt, but I really wasn't shocked when she told me that um, she didn't have the finances to leave him. She chose um, the life. She she tried to tell me that um, she by herself she couldn't provide a lifestyle that my children were already used to. So she just decided that uh, uh, to to go back. I don't I don't know I, I don't even know how to describe what she did because she went from believing my daughter to not believing my daughter. And then turning the whole story around like um, like that I, I made up a story and that my daughter went along with it and that it wasn't even true. So um, where that comes from, I don't know. I can't understand any of her decisions. Um, it has greatly affected me in the way that I view my mother. Because my mother for many years has always talked, um, she's very much talked bad about people and calling them perverts and um, 
trying to be overprotective of, you know, anybody that might be looking at children in a harmful way. And then when she finds it, and, and I mean, she talks about it constantly and what people like that need to do and where they need to go and how they need to have their, you know, genitals, whatever, you know, just ugly stuff. And she's like all about just the nastiness of, you know, for a lack of a better word, but perverts, you know, what they need to be done with them. And then when she finds out that one is a predator is living under her own roof that happens to, you know, gave her a last name that's her husband. It's like she forgot everything about who she said she was. I found out my mother was the biggest hypocrite, was the um, epitome of sick. And I mean sick. Um, that I, I knew she was sick, but I didn't know that she would just allow something as horrible as that um, to continue to happen and know about it. And, and know what she was doing and um, continue to allow that man to be around my children after she found out what happened. And it's, there are no words, really. I don't know how to describe it without just, um, I, I don't know. I don't know what to tell you, Rachel. That My mother is a... Um, Um, very difficult person and there's no rhyme or reason you never really know what to expect with her except for she's going to do it her way she's going to make you feel like you have a problem and not her and no one is going to stand in her way and tell her what to do or how to live her life and as long as she has enough money to back it up she hasn't been done wrong. She hasn't been proven wrong yet. And I don't have any family support and no one that really cares about what's going on in that house. And I've been trying and I've been trying and I've been trying and I've been fighting and I've been researching and I've been doing work and I've been going to classes and I've been getting certificates and I've been paying for courses and I've been doing everything on my end that I could possibly do to try to get my children some help and no one is listening. That's frustrating. And heartbreaking yeah. all at the same time. Very hard to deal with. Um, like I said, I keep joy in my heart because of Jesus Christ. And he's what makes me get through this. He helps me. He gives me hope. And I still have hope in my heart that I am going to get up enough money to, um, to overturn this adoption. Like that's, it's going to happen. I have faith. I have strong, firm faith in God, knowing that the God that I serve knows that what's going on under that roof is wrong. It's not okay. It's not just the sexual abuse. It is every day. It's mental. It's physical. It's, um, it's just a lot. And, um, I just want someone to hear my story to help my children. And I'm 
I'm just doing everything I can every day. I just started a parenting class yesterday. You know, electively, I'm taking all these classes and courses and whatnot um, because that's what I can do. I'm working uh, three jobs right now and um, trying to take these classes. Uh, I go to recovery meetings twice a week, you know, to keep my uh, sobriety. And I'm just a really busy woman. (laughs) really busy woman just trying to work really hard to um to bring her children home and get them out of a um just a very negative manipulative um abusive environment yeah that's heartbreaking and it's really hard to watch your kids go through that and not be able to do anything about it Yeah, it's really hard to watch him, but, you know, the, the worst part, worse than, than watching it was the not knowing when she uh, cuts off all contact because she does that, too. And then it's, um, I don't have any rights. I can't get near them. I've gone to jail twice trying to see my children. Um, it, oh, it's it's been it's been a long, hard road with this woman. Yeah. Um, yeah there's a point in time where we got along. We were trying to, to get along and, do, and have regular visits and stuff like I was talking about. And um, they went out of town and asked, a, they hired a babysitter, didn't tell me that they were leaving to go out of town for the weekend, hired a babysitter to keep my children instead of calling me and asking me to, to come sit, you know, what, would you like to come, you know with the children this weekend at, you know I would have stayed there at their home whatever just like the babysitter did but they would rather hire a stranger than than that I, w- I went over there I just you know I showed up and this is how I found out because I tried to see my children like normal and there was a babysitter there and they were out of town and they called the police because I was there, they asked me to leave and get out of their house. And there was no drug, you know. There was nothing, you know. I, I think I was clean for like two years at this point. There was no drug involvement. There was nothing harmful. There was no bad juju going on, other than the the norm of, you know, her awkward personality going on. It was absolutely everything was kind of on the up and up. And my mother calls the police on me because she finds out I'm at her house and she's not in town. I have to set up and schedule appointments to go visit my mother because I can't just go over there. I can't just show up. And most of the time when I call her, she doesn't call back. If I text her, she oh, and there's a, that's the biggest thing was I I can I cannot call her house. Haven't I, every number that I've ever had has been blocked. I cannot call their house. Period. I have never called their house late. I have never called their house and been threatening in any manner. I have never uh, been a nuisance on the telephone. <laughs> you know, like there's absolutely no one one reason ever that. I should not be able to call the house that my mother and my children live in, but my mother blocks my number. And I've, you know, I've changed my numbers a few times over the years. Every number that I get, 
has it goes I mean she the first thing she does is block it from calling her house. I have to reach her by her cell phone, which she does not keep on her, which it might be two or three days before she checks it. And there's no constant communication. Do you think she disassociates? Absolutely. Like, because will you like have these kind of conversations and then confront her about it? And then she like, oh, that never happened or. Um. Uh, Yes. And she makes things up. Yes. She's very uh, delusional in her own things that happen in, in her mind are not, are, I mean, I don't even know where she gets the stuff from. You know, she'll tell me that I said things that I've never said, nor are not even of my character, much less something that would ever come out of my mouth. Um, and just, yes, she's very she's delusional. I don't know where um, she gets some of the things that she says, conversations that we've had or like a way that she interpreted, um, you know, in Miss Reed's uh, conversations or um, uh, like moments. I don't know. Yeah. What advice would you give children of borderline parents? Run. No. <laughs> no. Um, see, I, I try to make light in situations because this is a very serious uh, disease of the mind. And it's it's just um, it's really very hard to deal with. It can if you don't have the right therapy and the right um, positive mindset and cheerful heart. Um, a lot of people uh, could end up just really going down a really bad road. Um, much worse than drug addiction, you know, probably suicide and things of this nature. So my advice for anybody that would have a borderline personality mother is to try to get your mother some counseling try to, whatever it takes, get her to somebody, to a doctor somewhere and try to encourage her to take medication if she needs medication. Try to encourage her um, to, you know, get help. Um, try to help her to understand that she has a problem because most borderlines, she's not going to even ever acknowledge that there's anything wrong with her. And uh, that's it's very upsetting. You have to know that you have a problem before you can even try to fix it. Um, so my advice to anybody dealing with this is, um, you know, find yourself some good doctors and watch how you word things because your words mean everything, especially to a borderline. Um, you have to kind of tiptoe and sugarcoat things a lot of times when you really just don't feel like it. When you really don't want to, because they're really not nice with their words most of the time. But you you can't fight that fire with fire. You have to fight that fire with some water or salt or whatever kind of fire it is. You know, you have to extinguish it somehow and you have to be the bigger person. 
you have to absolutely eat your own pride. You know, and pride's never good to have. So you just, whatever you have in you um, that can be nice and understanding and calm and soothing and loving, love with all your heart. It's the only way I've made it through. Last question. How has this impacted your faith? Well, you know, God's timing is God's timing. (laughs) I have always wanted to believe in something. Um, I searched for something to believe in my whole life. My parents, neither one of them um, were believers. Um, They say they were, but nothing that they ever did or did or taught or their I didn't go, we didn't go to church. We didn't speak of church. We didn't pray in my house. There was nothing of God around what I grew up in. But they both said they believe in God. And then when you talk about it, they don't want to talk about it. I just don't question me. I believe in God. (laughs) So, um, my faith today is built on, um, everything that I've been through and knowing who protected me knowing um, that I wouldn't have any love in me that wasn't instilled by him because I I just wasn't raised right. And I didn't get love and compassion and, and understanding and support. So I know that, um, you know, there was something else that was out there that was protecting me, that was loving me, that was guiding me, that was making me this person that was understanding and compassionate and loving because I did not have role models for that. And, um, so my faith, uh, you know, had swayed most of the time, even though I wanted to believe in something, I just couldn't, if I couldn't touch it, if I couldn't see it, if it wasn't, you know, proven fetched, you know, something I could put my hands on, you know, it was just, uh, very hard for me to believe. Until one day, it just, I can't explain it. And other people that, you know, believe in God and have been through things that I've been through or not been through the things that I've been through. But, you know, it's just kind of something that happens where, you know, God will release something inside of you that says, hey, it's your time to know who I am. And he won't let up. And he comes and he just came into my life in in such a major way. And, and taught me so many things through the word in the Bible. And um, I, I just stand on it. You know, I stand on on, on a solid, firm foundation um, of, of God. And I know that he's real. And I know what he does for me. And I know what he's always done for everyone. And I just thank God every day for Jesus' sacrifice and his life and his death and his resurrection that was just proven beyond everything of, you know, the greatest love of all. And um, we all want to be loved. And he was the perfect example of love. And I just, um, I just say, hold on, you know, hold on. And there is, there is God and God is real. And, you can't tell me he's not. <laughs> All right. So there's Thanks, that. Thanks, Cheryl, for being on our show. And 
uh, thanks for listening, guys. Um, this will be aired uh, in two parts. Um, so tune in on two, uh, Thursday mornings at 10 a.m. And thanks for listening. Always find us on your favorite podcast or social media platform. And if you have any questions or want to learn more about Rachel and Recovery, go to rachelonrecovery.com and uh, ask questions or just look around. And if you want to support us, there's uh, we're on uh, Buy Me a Cup of Coffee and on Platform and several other uh, t-shirts and uh, swag that you can get. Thanks for listening. Hear from you guys next week at Thursday at 10 a.m. Thanks. <laughs>